Good morning. It is clear that um, the Lord loves many this morning. Uh, he gives sleep to those whom He loves. <laughs> and many are, I'm sure, still asleep. Um, let me just make a brief announcement. Um, March 24th and 25th, uh, Dad has his evangelistic uh, rally in Macon, Georgia, and um, it would be wonderful um, if we would pray for that. I'll pray for that um, this morning in, in a few moments. Um, but if you're, if you're wanting, I know they're taking a bus down to Macon, and, uh, or if there's any way that you want to connect uh, with what's happening there, um, you can look at ltw.org slash celebrations. Um, from what I've heard, that's um, the, the groundwork that's been laid there, especially with the racial strife that exists in Macon. Um, there's been great unity between black and white churches there in Macon. And, um, of course, in God's sense of humor, he sent an Egyptian uh, to bring black and white together in the deep south. So... Imagine that. In, um, in 1862, William Lincoln, the son of President Abraham Lincoln and First Lady Mary Todd Lincoln, he died at the age of 11. And his mother, Mary Todd, was so distraught that she consulted with a group of, of mediums or, or spiritualists uh, to act as uh, mediators to hold these seances to invite the spirit of William uh, in. And they did this a number of times in the White House over several years. Mary Todd was so desperate to see her son again, she would do anything to be reconnected. In the early 1900s, Empress Alexandra Romanov of Russia, the wife of Tsar Nicholas, invited a faith healer uh, called Rasputin into their home and into the lives of the family. As Rasputin was a self-professed faith healer and prophet, he was tasked with bringing uh, healing to and restoration to uh, 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 Nicholas and Alexandra's son, Alexei. He was suffering from hemophilia. Rasputin was a dangerous man, and although he had some associations with the Orthodox Church, uh, he was less of a clergyman and really more of a spiritualist. In desperation, we sometimes turn to things that we do not understand. Both of these families had Christian background, Christian uh, upbringing. Uh, the Lincolns, of course, raised in Protestant homes, and the Romanovs, of course, from an Orthodox background. But again, in desperation... We turn to anyone or anything that is willing to give us an answer. And the world is filled with answers. But what should we turn to? In seasons of, of desperation and in seasons of, of doing well, 
I, I wonder if you've ever gone through these moments in your life, if you've ever faced circumstances like this. How did you respond in those moments? Well, I hope it's obvious that this is the point where I will point us to Christ and remind us to flee to Christ when we are desperate, to remain with Christ when we are in great need, to rest in Christ through all seasons. That's essentially my job as a, as a preacher here, it, it is to, to look to the Word of God and, as it were, move your affections towards Christ, for, for you to see yourself rightly, to, to feel your need for Christ, to, to show you how wonderful He is, and then encourage you to go to Him. Encourage all of us to go to Him, to trust in Him. That term Christ, it, it, it carries great weight. Now, I know some people will say that they think Christ is his last name, that it's uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, it's not the family name. It, 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 is the, it means anointed one, the Christ. But why do we use that term? Why do we use that term? What is the association? What is the connection there? It is because Christ is the anointed one. And in the Old Testament, there were three offices in which God's servants were uniquely anointed. Those are the offices of the prophet, the priest, and the king. So this morning, and for the next few weeks, as Dave has alluded to, uh, as we approach Holy Week, as we approach Easter, I want us to look deeply at these offices, what they were in the Old Testament, how Jesus fulfilled them in the New, and how they continue even for us today and to the end of the age. And my hope is that by the end, you will feel so much more grateful for Christ. You, you, you will be so much more stirred up in your affections for Christ and His gospel that it will influence and it will impact you in your daily life and carry you through all of the circumstances that you face, even and especially in the desperate times. And so let us pray together and ask that God would grant us these things this morning. Father, we do long to grow in saving knowledge of you, and Father, that that knowledge would produce fruit, and that we would be your children, and that, Father, we would rightly act as your children in these things. We thank you for our prophet, priest, and king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, as uh, we think these things over ourselves, we think these things and pray these things over the many who are yet to know you. Father, we think of the event coming up in a few weeks in Macon. We pray, Father, for, for the soil on which the seed will be spread. We pray for the work uh, of those in the fields there in Macon, of the, of the workers in the churches who will help bring in the harvest, of those who will help... Um, Father, disciple those who, uh, who are hearing the gospel perhaps for the first time. 
Uh, Lord, that you will help that seed fall on good soil and that you will give good growth as some come along and water and some come along and tend. Uh, But Lord, we know that ultimately you're the one that gives the growth. And so, Father, we commit ourselves and we commit them and all these future events to you and your perfect care. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you'll turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to read the first four verses together. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom Also, he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs." Now, this will be our primary text for the next three weeks, but we will look, we'll be bouncing around, so this is not, this is a break from our ordinary sort of exegetical work through Genesis or Mark, and we're looking at this a little bit topically, but we're going to be looking, of course, at both Old and New Testament uh, as we build our case that Jesus is uh, the only prophet, priest, and king, and he is the greatest mediator you will consult with in your life. And we start this week by looking at this office of prophet. What is the role of the prophet? A prophet reveals. Uh, A prophet represents God to man. A prophet foretells. They were foretellers, often revealing the future uh, of an individual or of the nation Uh, Prophecy and prophesying came from prophets, right? And God used that often revealing future events that would come to fruition by the words of the prophets. In fact, God said to stone uh, the prophet whose prophecy did not come true. That is how serious this office is. It's not to be taken lightly. It's not to be abused. But prophets were also forth-tellers, foretellers revealing future, forth-tellers speaking what is true. They took the Word of God forth. They took it out. They declared the, the revealed will of God. They proclaimed truth that God had made known. When Hilkiah the high priest discovers the law of God, which had been lost during the 70 years of exile, and Ezra reads from the law, there was a declaring of the revealed will of God. And the response of the people was weeping, for their hearts were broken over their sin, over their disobedience. Foretellers and forthtellers revealing God to man. 
Before Jesus, we walked in the futility of our minds, as Paul says in Ephesians. We were in darkness. We are cast into the abyss, as it were, in the, in the sin of Adam. Our hearts were at war with God. And as a heart is, is ignorant and lost, and just as that lost and ignorant heart needs light to reveal the truth, God revealed Himself progressively through the Scriptures. One of the ways in which he does this is through his servants, the prophets. Abraham, as I know you all are aware as we've been studying this, but of course if we remember just a few weeks ago in Genesis chapter 20, in his encounter with Abimelech, where, you know, Abraham, of course, is anticipating the, the promised son that he will have, and he travels to the Negev, and, and there, rather than share the good news of, of Yahweh and, and, and who he is, and, and that God will bless those who bless Abraham, proving himself to be a good and a gracious and a real deity, that he is worthy of worship, what happens? Instead, Abraham lies. To Abimelech. And he tells Abimelech that Sarah is his sister. And he's bearing false witness because he's afraid the people will kill him because of their desire for his wife. And in the dream, Abimelech hears God tell him to return Sarah to Abraham because Abraham is what? He is a prophet, God says. Abraham just happens to be not a very good and capable prophet. But from Abraham on, God raises up prophets for the nation of Israel, of whom Moses is the greatest. Why is Moses the greatest? Because he acts as a mediator of the law of God. He plays that role of mediator between God and the people of Israel. He goes up to Mount Sinai to receive the Decalogue, to receive the Ten Commandments of, of God for His people. And you remember when Moses comes down, his face is shining so bright that it terrifies the people and they hide from him. And so he has to veil his face because he has been in the presence of God. Just as a little side note, uh, in my daily readings I was in... Um, 2 Corinthians, and, and Paul's making reference there to how Moses has to shield his face because of the glory of God. But to those who know Christ, his, the face has been revealed. And, um, and to those who are, do not know Christ or reject Christ, particularly the Jews, there's still a veil over their face. And the more I thought about that, I think about Christ being the bridegroom and, and the church being the bride, and you think of the imagery of when a bride walks down the aisle and she is unveiled, and I, just the beauty of that picture of Christ and the church coming together, looking at one another, enjoying that. We don't, there's no longer a veil over our eyes, hiding, protecting us, but we have this oneness with Christ. Again, that's just a side note. Tuck that away in your mind as you... Uh, witness weddings and, and think about the imagery that takes place there. But you see, in this, Moses is a prophet of God. He hears from God. He reveals God to the people, what God is like, what He desires. He's telling them what He desires. He's telling them what His heart is. 
And the office of, of prophet continues through the history of Israel. We know this, right? We think of Elijah and Elisha come, calling for the repentance of Israel, specifically dealing with those wicked kings that were abusing their power uh, and turning to idolatry. We think of Isaiah and Jeremiah with their words of warning, but, but also words of hope. The prophets in the Old Testament stand against idolatry and injustice, particularly against the vulnerable. And so their concern is with how people treat God and how they treat one another, which happens to be how Jesus summarized the whole of the law. Love God, love others. And how were these messages from God, through the prophets, received. Well, occasionally there was repentance. We think of the prophet Jonah, also a terrible prophet. But what did God do to Nineveh through His message? They repented, and God withheld His judgment from them. But most of the time, what happened to the prophets? Isaiah was sawn in two by King Manasseh. Jeremiah was stoned to death by his own people. Prophet after prophet were killed by the very people that they were sent to. Ending with John the Baptist, the last prophet of his kind. He too is beheaded by King Herod. So a prophet spoke for God and, and represented God to the people. Will the people listen to the prophet? Will they hear his warnings and his words from God? Will they turn their hearts from being bent in on themselves? Or will they not only continue down their path, but, but, but also put to death the very voice of representation of God. These days, it doesn't take the killing of a prophet to silence the voice of God. All it takes is cutting yourself off from the means of grace. Not reading the Word of God is silencing the voice of God. Not being in prayer to God is silencing the voice of God, not attending church for our beloved sleepers. <laughs> Hopefully they'll be at the next service. But what I mean by that, by not attending church, is, is that we're not being in fellowship in person with the people of God, particularly on Sunday when we gather to sit together under the Word and in prayer. That is silencing the voice of God. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, and these things are written for our benefit. Do we silence the voice of God in our lives? Now, I don't want this to be a uh, read your Bible more and pray more point, though those are good things. Rather, I want us to see what God is saying to us through His Word 
in those days. He sent prophets in these days. He works through many ways. But the point is the same. He desires you. He's calling you. And it is for your good and it is for his glory that he does so. Well, most of you braved the uh, trickle of rain outside. Uh, It was more of a deluge when I left at 6 whatever this morning. And I wonder if you've ever come across... uh, you know, a, a warning sign about, about flooding in an area. Um, I remember seeing several signs uh, like that, and I would turn my car around and, and drove the other way. I, I took the warning seriously, and I left. But I also remember seeing cars that just didn't care. And they were not large SUVs or trucks. They were small Toyotas or Hondas, and they just tried to plow right through and then eventually the water comes up so high and they've put themselves in a position of danger. That's the imagery we have here. Hear the voice of God. Hear the warnings of God. Hear these things. Listen to these things. Do not silence the voice of God in your life. Do not ignore it. Prophets then... But the passage in Hebrews continues. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And this brings us to our second point. Prophets fulfilled, and in his divine timing, he sent the ultimate Revealing prophet, the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet of which Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And the Lord said to me, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Like Moses, Jesus is the mediator of a covenant between God and his people. Unlike Moses, Jesus not only speaks God's word, He is the Word of God Himself, according to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Himself saw Himself and described Himself as a prophet. In Luke chapter 13, verse 33, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Israel. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. And just as the prophets came not to speak their own words, but to, but to speak not just on their own behalf, but to speak on behalf of God, Jesus tells us as a fourth teller in John twelve forty nine, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent 
uh, who, who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak, and I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. John 14, 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. John 14, 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. John 17, 8, Jesus praying to the Father, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. And have come to know in truth that I come from you and they have believed that you sent me. He cannot say anything that is out of bounds with the Father. All that he speaks is from the Father. Jesus is the ultimate forth teller and he is ultimate foreteller. He prophesied that his word would never pass away, and as much as people abuse and wrench and torture his words, they still remain 2,000 years later. He prophesied his own death. I don't think we need more detail on that one, unless you thought that the cross was just the lowercase t for the church of the apostles. That was a joke. 10.30, you'll get that one. He prophesied that his disciples would desert him, that one of them would betray him, that Peter would deny him, that he would die in Jerusalem like the other prophets, that he would die by crucifixion, that he would die at Passover, that he would rise on the third day, that the Spirit would come, that Jerusalem would be destroyed, that the temple would be destroyed, and all of the things that he said happened. Forthtelling and foretelling. And what was his fate? It was the same as the prophets before him. They put him to death in Jerusalem. No one has had more prophesied about them and prophesied more themselves and revealed the Father to perfection the way that Jesus did. Jesus the Christ the anointed one, the anointed prophet of God, the one who fulfilled what the prophets before him prophesied, the one who fulfilled what he himself prophesied, the one who by his spirit and in his word continues to speak to us today. And yet so many times we still look for additional information as if the fulfillment of the prophecies was not enough for us. We still want to buy the end times books to, to find out what will happen. We still want to know what the prognosticators, the, the prophets of today have to say. We still want to know what we don't know. And we will go anywhere to find it. Anywhere but to the one who has perfectly displayed his Forthtelling and his foretelling, anywhere but the one who has perfectly revealed the will of God. Mary Todd Lincoln turned to seances and mystics. The Romanov family turned to modern day prophets. 
neither clung to Jesus. Neither looked to Christ for answers to their problems. Beloved, trust Christ, our prophet, who reveals God. Our prophet, who is God. That he holds all things in his hands. That he is the good shepherd who watches over his sheep. Hear his voice crying out from Scripture. Hear his words as he tells us all we need to know. I heard the story of a, a little lady who became a believer later in life. And she had sort of mysticism in her background. And, and one day she was coming out of a fortune teller's uh, building. And one of her friends from church saw her. And then later she sort of pulled her aside and she said, what were you doing in there? And the lady said, I'm just so overcome with the grief in my life and, and I have so many doubts and, and I knew that this place would help me. And so her friend said, no, you have to abandon these things. There's no truth in this place. And so they walked out this life of discipleship together, untethering her from what she thought she needed in addition or, or, or additionally to, to what she thought she was getting in Christ. And the lady walked her through and showed her, you don't need these things. All you need is Christ. Prophets then, prophets fulfilled. Finally this morning, prophets now. Christ has come and He's fulfilled the office of prophet perfectly. Is there any more need for this office? Well, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 11. We don't have it on the screen, so just keep it open. I, I won't read it directly, but it's a good chapter to go back and read through yourselves. This story of um, the Israelites are, are complaining, shock, uh, and they're longing to go back to Egypt. Why would you ever do that? Um, I always have a hard time in Egypt with security checks and last names and looking a particular way, and so I don't desire to go back. But, um, of course, their situation is different. But they are longing for the food. Oh, the, the leeks and the onions and the meat. Oh, you know, it was so much better there. We're not eating this same stuff every day like we are here. And, and, and Moses cannot bear the burden of the people any longer. And so God says, bring 70 of the elders to the tent of meeting and they will share the burden. And then the, the 70 men begin to prophesy with prophetic utterances. And Joshua notices that two of the men who are in the camp with the people and were not at the tent of meeting where they were supposed to be. Uh, they were elders, and they too were prophesying even while they're in the camp. And so Joshua runs to tell Moses to make them stop. Listen to the words of Moses in Numbers chapter 11. Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. That in itself was a prophecy. For where Moses was 
overwhelmed with the burden of representing God to the people all the time. Christ carried that weight perfectly. And rather than 70 elders prophesying temporarily, the Father and the Son would send the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to dwell in the apostles and give them prophetic utterance. And from then on, it would be the indwelling of the Spirit of God in each and every believer that makes those of us in Christ like prophets. Now, hearing that may cause you pause to say, now wait a minute, does that mean that I can tell the future? And, and, and let's slow, pump the brakes for a second. I'm not, this isn't sort of the new apostolic reformation project. You know, we're not prophets in the, f- the fullest sense, in the Old Testament sense. But can you tell the future? Well, in some ways, yes. Not in a fortune teller sort of way. Paul does mention the gift of prophecy that reveals specific situations to people in 1 Corinthians. But we know the general future. We know that through the Scriptures, uh, what Christ has said about the last days, we, you know that those who are in Christ will be brought through safely. We know that we are already seated in the heavenlies. Beloved, what, what, what more could you ask for? What more assurance could you, could you ask for? And now we go out as ambassadors like Moses, like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, and we hold forth what we know to be true. We are forth tellers of what God has revealed in His Word. And what more could we offer people than the greatest gift that God could ever make available? The ultimate prophet who reveals God perfectly. When you engage with one another, believer to believer, you act in a prophetic way, reminding one another of the goodness of God, of the promises of God, of the warnings of God, of the rebukes of God, of the grace of God. But let me add a note here, because I think some of you are hearing this and you might be picturing yourselves as Elijah on Mount Carmel And you're calling down fire to consume all the prophets of Baal. Do not do that. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so what are we called to do? To be a forth teller marked as your master, the Lord Jesus Christ, marked with grace and truth. Yes, speak truth, but may it always be with grace. As Paul Tripp notes, if you speak truth in ways that are devoid of grace, you have in fact done violence to the truth that you think you are speaking. If you handle grace in a way that compromises truth, The grace you are offering is not really grace at all. Prophets then. Are you silencing God in your life? Are you cutting yourself off from the ordinary means of grace, prayer, the Word, fellowship with the saints? Prophets 
fulfilled. Where do you turn when you are desperate? And that's not expecting a Bible church answer. It's a genuine question. Where do you turn when you are desperate? Only Christ can give you real comfort. Only Christ is the ultimate prophet who can show you God's perfect will. Do not turn to lesser things. Prophets now. And now, now knowing all this, what, what do we do? This has so flooded our hearts and our minds. We're, we're overcome. We're, we're, we're spilling over. And so where are you going to spill? We share Christ with the lost. We share Christ with the saved. We share Christ with our families. We share Christ with all. We're, we're, we're so overcome. We're so overwhelmed. We're, we're, we're in superabundance of this, of this love and grace and mercy. We, we have His Holy Spirit in us. What do we do with it? What do we say? Where do we go? Well, He's provided all of those things. He's provided words to speak. And He's provided people to speak to. So let us think about those things as we consider the office of prophet. We're going to celebrate communion in a, in a minute. And the timing... We just missed the timing because ideally this would have been the priest um, office because now we're getting a sneak peek as we consider the office of priest who makes the sacrifice, offers the sacrifice, and our Lord Jesus Christ who was the sacrifice. But let us pray and then let us celebrate communion together. As we do continue to think about these things of how we act in a prophecy way of sharing this love of Christ with those of us here in this communion and those outside. Father, we are eternally thankful for your grace, for your mercy, we thank you for the sending of prophets in the Old Testament as you began to reveal yourself to your people, to the nation of Israel. And we thank you mostly for sending that ultimate, perfect prophet in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose words we can listen to and rejoice in because they are all the words from you, Father. We picture that loving relationship between the Father and the Son, and we picture ourselves being caught up in that. And then we think of being caught up in that and being in superabundance of all that you've poured out and given to us. And we think about how we are to love those around us and how we are to love you. And so in ways we don't even understand, you make us forth-tellers to go out with good news on our lips. And Father, as we even think about next week in the office of priesthood, we are eternally thankful for Christ, our priest, who 
who suffered and died for our sake. All glory to you, our heavenly Father, for in your tender mercy you gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death on the cross for our redemption, who made there by his one oblation of himself once offered a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, and who instituted in His holy gospel commanded us to continue a perpetual memory of His precious death until His coming again, hear us, merciful Father, and grant that we who receive these gifts of Your creation, this bread and this wine, according to Your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ's holy institution, remembrance of His death and passion, may be partakers of His most blessed body and blood who on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given you thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given you thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you for the remission of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. Let us celebrate the Lord's communion together.